Amen. Amen. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome. Uh, why don't you say hello to someone around you? Welcome them. You don't have to shake hands. That's okay. You can fist bump. You can just politely wave. But let's welcome each other uh, to worship this morning. And you can have a seat when, you, when you're ready. So uh, my name is Brett Wellstead. I'm the pastor of worship here. Um, and uh, um, I wanted to point out, first of all, something you probably noticed, that it looks a little different in here. Uh, we're, we've, we've been making some changes, and this is one of the last things that we wanted to do is um, uh, to do a new paint job in here to help with the lighting, because uh, the, the light-colored walls that we had in here were so reflective, and uh, they really didn't allow us to do a lot with the color that we've been wanting to do for a while. And so uh, this is part of those changes. I know that it's probably, it looks a lot different, and uh, some of you might not be as excited about it. I hope that in time you'll get used to it. It really does help us present a better, uh, pr- uh, a better presentation for the people that are online, especially. And, uh, and we think that overall it's going to improve our worship and, and give us a chance to do some more things to help us create an atmosphere of worship and, uh, and draw people into the presence of God and invite them in. So, uh, so I'm excited about it, and I hope you are too. I think it's kind of fun. It's, it's very different, but it's fun. Um, so I want to start this morning with a little bit of trivia. Uh, I, I love trivia. I love games, puzzles. Uh, I'm, I'm very into that stuff. And uh, as you're going to see in a minute, I like movies as well, especially as a particular genre uh, that you'll guess pretty quickly. So here's how this is going to work. I'm going to show you a screenshot of a movie on the screen. I want you to try to guess the line that is associated with that screenshot. And it's okay. I'm not going to call on anybody that doesn't want to be called on. Just everybody relax. But uh, if you're online, I want you to type the line into the comments, and, uh, and I'll give you a second to do that. And then uh, for the people that are in the room here, uh, if you think you know it and you think that you want to call it out, then raise your hand, and I will call on you. But I won't call on you if you don't raise your hand, so that's, that's easy. So let's try this real quick. First, first shot. Okay. Think about it for a second. If you think you know the line for this one, I hear some whispering. And I hope online you're putting uh, your answer in the comments. All right, I'm going to call on this guy right here. I am Groot. Groot. It's like his only line. Very good, yeah, yeah, very good. Vin Diesel, the uh, the actor who portrayed this character, uh, read the line. He he says that he read the line over a thousand times. And, uh, And he read it in multiple languages, including Russian, Mandarin, French, Spanish, Portuguese, um, so that it's always his voice, no matter where you're hearing this movie around the world. So I, I thought that was interesting. Um, very good. Okay, uh, here comes number two, same genre. Does anybody know what line he says right here? This is at the end of the first movie. Keith. I am Iron Man. That's right. I'm not going to, well, I guess I could give away the movie. Because it's, it's, if you haven't watched it at this point, you're probably not going to. But yeah, this is where he reveals this, uh, this alter ego that he has. He, is, he says, I am Iron Man. Okay, good. Um, same genre. Uh, one more. Let's, let's go with number three here. Anybody know what this... <laughs> I know you know this. I'm not going to call on you, Cole. Sorry. <laughs> I hope you're playing along at home if you're uh, online with us. Uh, Kelsey, do you know what it is? I am Thanos. Very good guess. Very good guess. He doesn't say that this time. This is, this is an adjective he uses. Anyone? What about over here? 
I am inevitable. That's right. This is like his big crushing line that he says. And then it doesn't work out quite like he thought it would. Uh, So yeah, I am inevitable. Hopefully you're noticing a pattern here. Let's look at just a couple more here. Different genre, sort of. Next. (laughs) Go ahead and just say this one out loud if you know it. That's right. Luke, I am your father. Uh, How about this one? This is not actually from this scene, but he opens the line, or opens the movie with this line. Anybody? Wow, very good. I am speed. Yeah, see, see, this isn't that hard. Okay, and then one more from uh, years before I was born, but everybody should know this one, I'm guessing. I am Spartacus. Yeah. We were laughing at this one the other day because there's that extra way back in the corner. <laughs> like, just waiting for someone to tell him to come back. The shot is over. Like, he's just hanging out back there. Okay. Um, so, I am is a statement that reveals identity. Um, These lines are iconic because they give us an idea of who the characters are deep down. Sometimes they represent a turning point, you know, a new realization. Identity shapes how we relate to others. It shapes how we see ourselves. It's part of our worldview. It shapes how we think about everything. So when someone says, I am, we want to pay attention. Um, We've been going through the Gospel of John the past several weeks, And John is unique in that several times in John's account, Jesus uses this phrase, I am, followed by something. Every time Jesus says this, we need to pay attention. These statements represent turning points, new realizations. They help us to know who Jesus is. And knowing who Jesus is shapes how we see the world around us. Knowing Jesus shapes our future and even our eternity. So today I want us to look real quickly at the I am statements of John. I've been leading a group of New Coveys through the New Testament and uh, uh, since Easter. We read a few chapters a day, and we talk about it once a week. And part of the group time is just getting to know our Bible a little better. Um, so let me start with a primer if you're new to the Bible. The Bible is the story of God and God's people. It's made up of two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament is the moment when Jesus enters the scene in God's story. Not that he wasn't always there, but it's a turning point all the same when Jesus is born. The New Testament starts with four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life called the Gospels, and then it's followed by an account of the early life of the church and then followed by a series of letters that make up the foundational texts of our faith. The, uh, so John, um, they, the four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are all interesting in their own way, but John is different in a lot of ways. It might be the most interesting in terms of literature. For example, it starts with this prologue that is really creatively written. It's almost poetry, and I want to show you how this works real quick. Uh, So you you probably can't read the the passage on the left, but it's uh, John 1, verses 1 through 18. And you have these recurring themes that happen. Terry, is there any way I could get that up there so I don't have to turn around and look at it? Thank you. Um, the, you, you get these repeating themes. So it starts out with this, uh, this idea that Jesus is God. And then you have this idea that Jesus, the, or John, I'm sorry, John the Baptist is his witness. And then that Jesus came into the world. There we go. And then those three themes repeat in reverse order at the end of the passage. Jesus came into the world, John the Baptist is his witness, and Jesus is God. And the result is that they kind of point inward to this one central idea, which is verses 12 and 13. 
To all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. When we sing the song, I am who you say I am, I'm a child of God, this is what John is talking about as well. And so John is often called John the Evangelist, which means that he wanted to share the good news that anybody could put their trust and faith in Jesus and become a child of God. And so this prologue kind of creatively points to that, which is, I think, really, really interesting. And I have to believe that it's intentional. Another example of how John writes with some creative intention is something that uh, Brett Yon mentioned last week. Uh, in John's gospel, there are seven signs that Jesus performs in public that demonstrate his power and love. We've talked about these, a, f- a few of these already in the series. Seven, by the way, is a number that represents completeness or wholeness when we see it in the Bible. Um, there are seven days of creation in Genesis. There are seven scrolls and seven trumpets and seven seals in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, which is also written by John. And here in the Gospel, John focuses on seven signs of Jesus. As Brett mentioned last week, these aren't the only miracles that Jesus performed, but for John, they represent a complete picture of who Jesus is. Seven shows up in a few other ways, too. In chapter one, right after Jesus is baptized, we have seven titles attributed to John. I'm sorry, to Jesus attributed to Jesus. And then there are also seven times that Jesus uses the phrase, I am, and then fill in the blank. This is what I want to look at this morning because, as I said earlier, these statements reveal identity. They help us know Jesus. And knowing Jesus is what we want to be about as Christians. Faith or Christianity or religion or whatever you want to call it is not about a list of rules. It's not about membership. It's about a relationship with Jesus. So let's look at these briefly. Um, We're going to jump around a lot in John this morning, but all the references will be on screen and passages. And if you're following in the event notes on the Bible app, then uh, it's all there. For each of these seven statements, we'll talk a little bit about the context. We'll do a detailed cross-reference to multiple Old Testament and New Testament passages, and then we'll explore some commentary. And so that'll take about nine minutes, so get, get comfortable. No, I'm just joking. Instead of a detailed look, let's look at a couple of them, and we'll look at all of them as a whole and why the statements are significant. So, seven statements in their context. Let me just run through these quick. In John 6, verses 22 to to 66, Jesus has a conversation with the crowd following him, and Jesus drew a parallel between the manna that God sent from heaven to the Israelites in the Old Testament and himself. Among other things, Jesus then said that whoever eats the bread of life will never hunger, and that the bread of life is Jesus' flesh, which was a hard message for his followers to swallow, pun intended. Thank you. Um, Number two is in John 8, I am the light of the world. In John 8, 12 to 20, Jesus stood next to the oil lights of the Jewish temple and declared that he is the light not only for them but for all the world. In John 9, Jesus again says, I am the light of the world, as he is healing a blind man. Then the man shares what happened to him with some Pharisees who were religious leaders at that time, and this revealed the Pharisees' spiritual blindness. Number three and four, I am the good shepherd and I am the gate, happen in the same passage in John 10. Uh, And and they're related. Um, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees from John 8 and gave them this word picture, and I'm going to talk about him in a little bit here, but the Pharisees reacted to this by calling Jesus demon-possessed. Um, In John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, 
when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, uh, Lazarus' sister Martha essentially blamed Jesus for not preventing this, for not coming sooner. And Jesus told her that he is the resurrection and the life and then proved it by raising Lazarus from the dead and giving God the glory for the miracle. In John 14, Jesus said, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Speaking to his disciples just moments before he's arrested, he explained um, that he's going to be with the Father, that he will ascend into heaven, in essence. Um, And then he made the audacious claim that he is the only way that anyone can come to be with the Father, with God. And finally, number seven is, I am the true grapevine. In John 15, verses 1 through 17, Jesus describes the relationship between God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Jesus' disciples as a grapevine. The disciples are the branches producing fruit, but Jesus is the vine who feeds and connects the branches, and God the Father is the gardener who prunes and tends the branches, and who receives glory for the fruit produced. So those are the seven predicative statements that Jesus made. Predicative means he describes himself as something. Each of these short statements is packed with meaning, and sometimes it's lost on us because we're 20 centuries removed from it. Uh, So let's unpack a couple of them and find the good news in how Jesus identifies himself. First, going back to John 6.35, I am the bread of life. In this passage, Jesus had just fed a crowd of thousands with only five loaves of bread and two fish. He leaves with his disciples, but the crowds follow him and begin asking him how they can perform God's works too. So picking up in verse 29, Jesus told them, This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, Show us a miracle if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So I think it's amazing that this crowd had just witnessed Jesus multiply five loaves and two fish into a catering service for thousands, and they're still asking for a sign. Sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. Another thing of note, the people are looking at Scripture, but they don't see God in it. They see tradition. They see their law. They see Moses. Jesus says, in truth, God provided the bread. Earlier in John 5, Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me. The people are looking in the right place, but they're coming to the wrong conclusions. That's something that we constantly have to be careful about when we're looking at scriptures. If our conclusion doesn't in some way point to Jesus, then it's probably the wrong conclusion. So the good news for this is is this. I am the bread of life reveals that Jesus gives life, that Jesus was sent by God, that Jesus does more than the manna that filled the stomachs of the Israelites. Jesus gives eternal sustenance. He satisfies our deepest spiritual need. Let's look at the the pair of them that happened in John 10, the um, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. This is John 10, verses 1 through 21. Um, I'm not going to go through this whole passage, but, uh, but you can look it up after. The shepherd was a word picture that was easy for Jesus' listeners to understand, and it still is for us. You're probably familiar with Psalm 23 that begins, The Lord is my shepherd, 
The Pharisees that Jesus was speaking with would have been very familiar with that psalm, and it's probably why uh, Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, angered them so much. He was obviously drawing a connection between himself and Israel's king David. The Pharisees, and, and by the way, the Pharisees are religious leaders of the time. Uh, the Pharisees and all of the Jewish people were living under an oppressive government. They were waiting for their Messiah to come, and they believed that it would be a military leader, a mighty king like David, who would throw off the oppression of the Roman government. Um, so when Jesus draws that connection, it angers them. He doesn't fit their mold. They knew the prophecies, they knew their history, they knew much of what makes up our Old Testament, and what they saw in Jesus didn't match what they believed about the coming Savior of Israel. This is worth pausing to discuss for a moment. Do you want to know the best interpreter of the Bible? It's the Bible. Like, that is the best way to figure out what the Bible means, is to look at the whole of Scripture. The Bible is written over centuries of time by a broad range of authors inspired by God, And all of them are a cohesive story pointing to God, and specifically to Jesus. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, it's more than just a cuddly image of a peaceful pastor with a smiling man petting a lamb. Uh, Jesus is making a bold statement that challenged the listeners of that time. A shepherd recalls specific imagery from the Old Testament, like Isaiah 40.11 that says, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms Holding them close to his heart, he will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. This is a prophecy of the, uh, uh, that the prophet Isaiah spoke around 600 years before Jesus, that when the Lord returns, he will care for his people. Or Ezekiel 34, verses 11 and 14, this is also about 600 years before Jesus. Um, Ezekiel wrote, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel, There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. What I love about Jesus is that he speaks to all of us. Whether you've been reading scripture for a week or your whole life, there's truth that transforms in Jesus' words. At face value, a good shepherd shows us that Jesus cares for us. But if we dig deeper into scripture, we realize that Jesus is revealing himself as something much bigger and much more important. And that's why John includes some of these statements. John is showing us that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah. Okay, Um, off the sideboard now, because let's get back to what else Jesus says in this particular passage. With our 21st century lens, we might miss the, uh, the, the meaning and the significance of Jesus saying, I am the gate for the sheep. First century shepherds would live in the wilderness with their flocks. During the day, they would graze their sheep and keep an eye on them all. But they would never wander far from something that they would build in the wilderness that was called a sheepfold. It was a low pen surrounded by stones, covered by branches, and it had a single entrance to let the sheep in and out. At night, when predators were more likely to come near, the shepherd would gather the sheep into the sheepfold, and then he would lay down to sleep in the entrance of the sheepfold so that the only way someone could come in and out was through him. So when Jesus says, I am the gate, or as some translations put it, I am the door, um, he's, he's saying something about who can come in and out and his, his purpose there. John 10, verses 9 through 10 says, Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. 
So I am the shepherd and I am the gate reveal that Jesus knows his followers and leads them to good things. A good shepherd finds paths in the wilderness, leads his sheep to water and food, gives them rest, and protects them from predators. Um, we've got time here. Let's look at John 15, 1 through 8. This is the other one that I think we miss sometimes because uh, the, the, the picture of a grapevine doesn't come as easily to us and, and the meaning sometimes gets lost. But uh, John 15, 1 through 8, um, I'll read a bit of this real quick. I don't think we have it on the screen, but it says, uh, verses 1 through 4 says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So most of us have heard or we know that following Jesus means spending time with him in prayer, in the scripture, in worship. Jesus said, remain in me and I will remain in you. Other translations use the word abide in me and I will abide in you. We are to abide in Jesus. When we spend time connecting to the vine, we have life. We have spiritual growth. And we produce fruit that, as verse 8 says later, gives God glory. But what does Jesus mean by, I am the true grapevine? Again, there's a deeper meaning here. The Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders of the time often claimed a righteousness that comes from being um, descendants of Abraham. In Genesis 12, right at the beginning of the Bible, God tells Abraham that he will bless Abraham and make his descendants into a holy nation, a nation that's set apart, that's righteous, that will bless the world. So for the Pharisees, this meant that they were blessed. They were holy and righteous because they were part of that line rooted in Abraham. But if you've read through any of the Old Testament, you know that the, the story of Israel goes south real fast. Uh, the Israelites do not look like a holy or a righteous nation through much of the Old Testament. And soon you have prophecies that promise judgment from God. And in several of them, we see a particular word picture representing Israel. Look at the words of, of Hosea, an Old Testament prophet. Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Israel, by the way, is uh, another name for Jacob, who is the, the father he was, uh, of, of the entire nation of Israel. And so Israel here is being described as a spreading vine. But Israel did not bring the righteousness needed to bless the world. And so again, in Psalm 80, the psalmist describes Israel as a once-thriving vine, providing fruit and shade for all, but now destroyed. This time, though, there's a hint of something new at the end. So this is from Psalm 80, verses 14 through 17. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. So I hope you caught at the end there, the son of man. That's one of the titles that's used to describe Jesus uh, over and over in the Gospels. When Jesus said, I am the true grapevine, he revealed that it doesn't matter where we come from. Our righteousness isn't found in who we are. 
It's found in Jesus. We don't have time to go through the rest of the passages in detail, but let's at least talk about why they are good news. I am the light of the world is good news for anyone who feels like they're in a spiritually dark place. If you feel lost in life, you can look to the light of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life is good news for anyone who, I'm sorry, is good news for the spiritual seeker. In a time, I'm skipping, sorry. It's good news for anyone who is facing death or grief due to loss of a loved one. In Jesus, we have the promise of resurrection and new life even after death. I am the way, the truth, and the life is good news for the spiritual seeker. In a time where different worldviews compete and promise hope for the future, in Jesus we have the way, the truth, the life that we're looking for. All of these statements that Jesus, uh, that Jesus made elicited a variety of reactions. Disciples left Jesus. Pharisees tried to stone him or called him demon-possessed. His closest followers and friends like Martha were confused by what he said or missed the point completely. Why is that? I think it's because these statements are only good news if we believe Jesus is who he says he is. And that brings us to a bonus set of seven in John. Not only did Jesus say, I am, fill in the blank, seven times, there are seven occasions when Jesus simply said, I am. This phrase, I am, and the way it is said recalls another early scene of Israel's history. There was a time when the Israelites were enslaved by Egypt, and Moses, a shepherd tending his father-in-law's flocks, was, uh, he noticed a bush that was on fire, but it was not being consumed by the flames. And so when he went to take a closer look, God began speaking to him, and here's what God said. This is from Exodus 3, starting in verse 7. The Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But again, Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you, has sent me to you. When Jesus said, I am, Jesus gave himself the holy name of God. Look at these examples real quick. The woman at the well said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the one who is speaking to you. Uh, in John 6, they had rowed three or four miles, the disciples had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, don't be afraid, I am. 
And not, by the way, I am afraid. Just saying, I am. (laughs) Don't be afraid. I am is here. Uh, In John 8, the people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean? You cannot go where I come where I'm going. Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said to you, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. When Jewish officials and Roman soldiers come to arrest him in John 18, and I think this is the most interesting of them all. Uh, For one thing, John has the I am statement three times in rapid succession, almost like here's the the big finale. Um, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet the Roman soldiers and Jewish officials. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus of the Nazarene, they replied. I am, Jesus said. As Jesus said, I am, they all drew back and fell to the ground. So you have people of of different nations falling down on their knees in front of Jesus, which is another picture from elsewhere in the Bible. Um, So really big statement. There's power in Jesus' words here. There's power in the name of God. In John, we get a picture of Jesus as God. He cares for us as a shepherd. He guides us as a light. He is the way to know God, and he is powerful and mighty to save. And Jesus is God. He has existed from the beginning. He is the one who was and who is and who is to come. He's the Almighty who commands storms, walks on water, heals disease, and who conquered death by rising from the grave. We have a chance to know the God of the universe uh, when we know Jesus. He never leaves us. He's good. And when we believe that Jesus is I am, it changes everything. We see the world through God's eyes. We find hope and peace no matter our circumstances. And we bless the world around us as Jesus produces fruit in us for his glory until he comes again. So here's how I want to encourage you to respond to this. And our worship team can come back up for a a song. Um, Get out your phones and uh, scan this QR code or uh, go to newcovchurch.org slash respond. I want everyone to try this this morning. Um, This is our online connect card, and uh, there's a lot of things you can do here. One, you can share prayer requests with us. We really want to pray for you. Um, That's something we we spend time on throughout the week, and we have a team of people that prays. So uh, scan this code, or else uh, in some of the seat pockets, there's a a place where you can scan, or just go to newcovchurch.org slash respond. Let us know how we can pray for you. Fill in the the required information there. It's just name and email address. And then in uh, in the what would you like to know more about field, I want you to use that to share your response to this. First, If you're already a follower of Jesus, I want you to consider these aspects of who Jesus is. Are there any of these statements that particularly caught your attention this morning? Maybe things that you need to remember as you go through your week. Uh, Maybe you need to ask Jesus to be your shepherd. Or maybe you need reminders that Jesus is everything your spirit needs, the bread of life. Um, also, if, if you'd like a chart that shows all of these, the references and uh, the, the seven I am statements, I'd be happy to send that to you. Just ask for it in that comment field there, um, and I can email that to you this week. Second, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you to wrestle with these statements. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? That he is I am? 
there's, uh, and, and, you know, do you believe not only that he's all these good things, but also that he, as he says, he is God? There's a great passage from the 20th century uh, author and theologian C.S. Lewis that says this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. If you're ready to call Jesus Lord and God, we want to talk with you about that. Following Jesus is a step from death to life. It's the best decision you will ever make, I promise. So everyone, please, scan the code, go to respond, and click that link as the band presents a song here that is going to, again, point to, to Jesus. So let's listen and re- let's respond to Jesus, the I Am.